Hey guys, thanks for tuning in today to the JTP Church Podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message. If you want to share with us what God is doing in your life, you can write us at hello at jtp.church. If you would like to partner with us and make a financial gift to our ministry, you can visit us at www.jtp.church and make a donation. Now sit back and enjoy the message. All right, let's give it up to Jesus. I want you to close your eyes right there where we are. Let's do a quick prayer. Father God and Holy Spirit, we thank you for this amazing time that we're living, this time of Thanksgiving, this week where we were able to share with our friends and with our loved ones, God, and just be able to give thanks unto you because we realize that every good thing that we have and that we're able to enjoy today is because of you. We realize that God, every single blessing has come from heaven and we're thankful. And God, we prepare our hearts today to receive from you. But before that, we've come into this place. And since the moment we started with a prayer, God, we've come with thanksgiving and we are offering unto you worship. We declare that you are the one who deserves all the glory, all the honor and all the praise. And before we get out to all the good stuff and before we get to declaring all the good things that you're going to do in our lives and declaring all the miracles that are going to happen tonight, Father, we just want to give you thanks because you're a good God. Come on. Can somebody put their hands together today in gratefulness of the great God that we serve? Amen. Hallelujah. You guys may be seated. It's another Sunday in the house of God, and that's always a good thing. Amen? Thanks, worship team. Can we give it up to the worship team? Amen. As you guys know, we started two weeks ago with a series on the Holy Spirit, and today we're going to continue this uh, Spirit-filled series. And today I want to talk to you guys about a new way of life. I want you to look at the person that's closest to you, and I want you to tell them, pay attention because we're going to talk about a new way of life. And basically, it's based on the fruit of the Spirit. We talked about the 12 different roles or most important or most common roles that the Holy Spirit works in the lives of the believer last week. How many of you guys were here last week? Raise your hand. All right. Awesome. We started off the first week talking a little bit and getting to know the Holy Spirit. And we have established something very important and crucial, which is the Holy Spirit is not an it. It's a what? It's not an it. It's a he, right? It's a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. We also found out and we studied through the Word of God that the Christian's body, me as a Christian, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the house of the Holy Spirit is my body. He lives inside of me. We learn through the Bible also that Christians are baptized into one spirit, which is the Holy Spirit. When we believed unto salvation, we were marked by the seal of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So touch the other person on the other side and tell them, I've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. What I want to do today, I want to pick off where we left off last week. But before we start learning about this new way of life that we're going to talk about today, before we start making sure that the Spirit that lives inside of us is bearing fruit on the outside, I want to talk about something that Paul told us not to do in regards of the Holy Spirit. Okay? We're going to get to the things that we should do, but before we get to the things we should do, I want to dedicate 10 minutes to things that are very important that we shouldn't do with respect to the Holy Spirit, all right? And I call these the not-tos. The first one is do not resist the Holy Spirit. Everybody say, we can't resist the Holy Spirit. And I'll show you what I mean, or at least I'll show you what Apostle Paul means. In Acts chapter 7, verse 51, he's talking to these people that were Christians, but they were up to no good. They were religious they weren't Christians, better said. They were just religious. And he tells them in Acts 7, 51, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so did you. All right, we know that Christians don't cuss. We don't say bad words. But this is as close to saying bad words as it gets, right? You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Why? Because he had a holy fit. And these people were very religious. They weren't living the life of the Spirit. They were seeing everything as a duty. And they weren't living out of a love for Christ. And he starts telling him that the reason why he had a problem with these people is because they would what? Resist the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're asking, how can one resist the Holy Spirit? When does that happen for me? Well, when the Holy Spirit is leading you in one direction and all of a sudden, you decide to act like you don't know or like 
you don't want to go in the direction of the Holy Spirit, that's a way that you can resist the Holy Spirit, right? And I'm going to ask Jesus and Anir, since I got you guys closest, to come up here. Just a little bit so you guys could get, yeah, come on up. So you guys can get a mental picture of what resisting is. Now, I know you guys are both holy men. You guys love God, but I, one of you has to be the bad guy and another one has to be the good guy, right? So, yeah. He said for conscience sake, he's going to be the bad guy. So we got to volunteer, right? So Jesus is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, he represents, and face me, and yet it represents me and you guys, right? We're people. We're trying to do the best that we can. And once we open our hearts, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit sealed us. And our bodies is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So where's the Holy Spirit living in Anir's life? He's living inside, right? Okay. He's inside. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So here's the Holy Spirit. Obviously, I can't get Jesus to get inside the body of... That'd be really weird. Okay. But Jesus here is going to be pushing Anir into a certain direction. But when Enier doesn't want to go in the direction that the Holy Spirit wants to go, he's resisting. He's resisting. So the Holy Spirit's telling him, look, love this person that hurt you. Pray for your enemies. Pray for your enemies. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. He's resisting the Holy Spirit. When he's telling him, tithe, tithe because I want to bless you. I want to bless you. Tithe, tithe. But he's, he's like, no, no, that's my money. I ain't going to tithe. Appreciate your help. Come on, give it up for these amazing volunteers. But just so you can get a mental picture of how it works, I mean, he's not, the Holy Spirit doesn't literally push us, but inside of us, when we come to church, when we read the Bible, when we pray, the Holy Spirit does that. He's always leading us, and he's always going to lead you in the direction to be more like Jesus. So if you see that it's been 10 years, and you're still the same person, and you're not more like Jesus since you were 10 years ago, it's very probable that you're resisting the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is always pushing you to be more like Jesus, to give more, to love more, to be able to be less selfish, be more selfless, and be more like Jesus. But if we resist, then the Holy Spirit gets to the point where he stops prompting you. So what Apostle Paul's trying to tell these people, look, God wants to do amazing things through your life. God wants to use you in such a way that your whole family is going to be a testimony and it's going to be able to see Jesus through you. But because you're resisting the Holy Spirit and where the Holy Spirit wants to move you, then that's why you're not seeing it. So he would talk really strong, as you guys saw, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. That's the first thing that I read in the Bible about not doing. We cannot resist the Holy Spirit. The second thing, this is even stronger. The Bible says, do not blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. Mark 3.29, I'm going to go really quick, all right? So if you guys want to jot this down. I'm going to give you a few verses. Mark 3, 29 says, But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. And now I want to go to Matthew 12, 31, because it goes a little bit more in detail. It says, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. You could blaspheme against the Father. You could blaspheme against Jesus. But if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, that's the unforgivable sin. Now, how many know what blaspheme of the Holy Spirit is? Okay, let me get to that. Because I want to clear something up. First of all, every sin is forgiven. There is not one sin that cannot be forgiven. And when you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, it's not a particular sin. Blaspheming against the Holy Spirit is any sin that a person clings to by continually resisting the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. I remember growing up, I used to think, man, the last thing I want to do is blaspheme against the Holy Spirit because if I do that, I'll never be forgiven and I'll be bound to hell for the rest of my life. And that's the last thing I wanted. But blaspheming against the Holy Spirit is not a particular sin. It's when you commit any sin... And the Holy Spirit prompts you and tells you, look, he convicts you in your heart. You're doing wrong. You're doing wrong. And you continue and you continue and you continue in that sin. In other words, you, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, but you are resisting like we just finished talking. And you're deciding to do whatever you want. That's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, if it comes to a point where you've done that for a long time and all of a sudden you come and you truly repent... Because true repentance is when you separate from sin, then 
there is forgiveness of Christ. We're not perfect. Sometimes, unconsciously even, we make mistakes, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, and you say, man, you just told that person a lie. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh my gosh, you know what? I got to go up to that person and tell them, look, in reality, I don't know what got into me, but I told you something that I shouldn't. I told you a lie, but, you know, forgive me. I want to set things clear. I made a mistake, and I want to own up to what I did, right? The Holy Spirit tugs at your heart. But when you continue and you start covering up sins, it gets to a point where you start justifying yourself. You start justifying every single sin, and you don't even feel that a sin is a sin anymore. And that's when you start blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. In a nutshell, the unpardonable sin is any sin that a person doesn't want to give up, confess, or even ask forgiveness, and additionally, doesn't want to hear any more about it from the Holy Spirit. So that's when we blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. So the Bible says, do not resist the Holy Spirit. The Bible also tells us that we shouldn't blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. Another thing that it tells us not to do is to quench the Spirit. Tell the person next to you, we should never quench the Spirit. When I hear that word, the first thing that comes to mind is Gatorade. I don't know why. Gatorade is a thirst quencher. At least that's what they advertise it to be. The drink that takes the prize on quenching thirst has to be water, right? That's the number one thirst quencher. So when you're very thirsty, you have a bottle of water that quenches your thirst. And when your thirst is quenched, what happens? You don't want anymore. What the apostle's trying to say, man, don't ever get to a point where you think you have enough of the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit because you can never have enough of this. You could be fooled to thinking that you have enough, but then you're just deceived. But the Bible says that, look, you can never have enough of the Spirit. I don't care how anointed you are, how filled with the Holy Spirit you are today, there's more for you tomorrow. So you should never feel quenched. You should never to a point to say, you know what, I'm pretty good. I don't need to pray today because I prayed yesterday. Or I don't need to fast anymore because I'm, I'm good. I don't need to seek God. I don't need to read. Because the minute you do that, you're on your way down. The Bible says don't quench the Spirit Always allow the Holy Spirit to be able to minister to you and push you to more. And you know what? The Holy Spirit doesn't just speak to you through the Word. He speaks to you through your HOB leader when he encourages you, when he tells you, hey, let's get involved. Let's serve Christ in this area. Get involved in serving God as a volunteer. Let's go out. We're going to start fasting. Did we announce that? We have five nights of fasting that start tomorrow. We're going to have services every single night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. For something specific, we want, we want the glory of God to fall over our congregation like never before. But specifically, we need to find a place before April to move. Because we already sold this place to Mount Sinai. They're going to do a medical emergency center here. And we're needing a bigger place. And we've been looking for months already over 50 different locations. And a lot of them say, look, we don't want a church here. So a lot of the places are really... It appears to be locked up, but we believe that God has the right place for us. So as a church, we want to connect to what God is speaking and the direction that God is leading us to make sure that we go to the right place and so God could show us which is the amazing place that God has, I don't know, for the next 10 years, 20 years, who knows. Amen. So tomorrow we're going to be here at 8 o'clock. But talking about quenching the Spirit, you see, you can never feel too satisfied. You can never feel like you're Filled enough because there's always more. So tell the person next to you, don't ever quench the spirit. And the last thing about these do nots or not twos that the apostle writes is do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, 30 and 31 says, and do not grieve. Grieve means to disappoint or to hurt. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then 31 starts talking about a lot of things that grieve the Holy Spirit. Because you probably say, well, Pastor, I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit, but how do I know when I'm grieving the Holy Spirit? Well, when we have bitterness, when we have wrath, when we are angry people, when we clamor and evil speaking, all these things the apostle says, put away from you with all malice. Amen? So it's saying, let all these things that we just mentioned, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away. All right. So now... Before we get into the fruit of the Spirit, you guys have to understand that we are dual nature beings, all right? I want to establish that before we get into this because then you'll be able to understand a little bit what the tug of war inside of us consists of. 
All of us have a dual nature. We are totally unique and distinct from every other piece of creation in the universe. God made us with a physical body, which is what you're seeing right now. When you look at me, you see my physical body. But inside of this physical body, I have a spiritual body. Amen? When you look at your dog, you just see the physical body, but there is no soul. They don't have any souls, right? There's a movie that came out that says, all dogs go to heaven. I don't know if that's true. When I had to put my dog away, because he got attacked by a huge dog, we had him for 10 years, and it was, you know, we loved him. He was like our son. My, one of my petitions was like, God, I pray that, you know, if you concede the petitions of your children here on earth, I pray that Champ will be up in heaven waiting for us. And maybe God grants us the desires of our hearts. I don't know. As opposed to animals, God created us with a physical body and also with a spiritual body. So what happens? The physical body, what you see here, was contaminated by sin. So what? We desire the things of this world. This physical body, as long as you live in that body that you have, your flesh is always going to want to inquire about sin. It's going to be curious about sin, about the lust of this world, etc. Now, the spiritual body, what's inside, connects with the Spirit of God. And this is what desires the things of the Spirit. So as you can see, inside every single person, there's a tug of war going on between doing the things of the flesh, which is the things of this body, or doing the things of the Spirit. The things of the flesh are the things of this world, the things that displease God. The things of the Spirit are the things that please God. So constantly, every single day from the minute you wake up to even in your dreams, you're constantly fighting between whether I should please the flesh or please the Spirit. So the battle will rage within you till the day you leave this earth. And whatever you feed the most, whether your spiritual body or your natural body, your flesh, that will be stronger and it will prevail. So having said that, I want you to go with me to Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to read this. This is going to hopefully bring a little bit of clarity with respect to this topic. Turn with me in your Bibles. It's important that you do it. Everybody have their Bibles? See a lot of people just with blank stares looking at me. Where your Bible at? Galatians 5.16, getting all comfortable because they're in the screens, right? Mm-hmm. That's your sword. You should never leave home without it. It says, verse 16, I say then, and this is the Apostle Paul writing, walk in the Spirit. I want you to bother the person that's closest to you and tell them, you got to walk in the Spirit every day. Remember we talked about the spiritual nature and we have, we have also a physical nature. The Apostle says, look, don't focus on the physical. Make sure you focus on the spiritual. Walk in the Spirit. Because if you do that, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In other words, if you feed your spirit, you will not give in to temptation. There's people that say, I don't know why, but I always fall in temptation. That's because you don't feed your spirit. It's because you're not praying, you're not reading the word, you're not asking God for strength. Because if you're filled with the spirit of God, then your spiritual nature will overcome your fleshly nature. It's a spiritual law, and it works for every single person the same. Because the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish that's why there's so many people that are like man i want to do the right thing but i end up doing the wrong thing why well because there's a war going on inside of you if you don't get the strength of the holy spirit which lives inside of you if you just toss them to a corner in your life and you don't pray and you don't ask god to give you clarity and to give you strength to overcome temptation if you're not in touch with him, you're not going to have strength when temptation comes, and you're just going to fall. And you can come to church for 20 years, and you just continue falling into temptation because you're not strengthening your spirit. And God tells us through the apostle that we need to walk in the spirit. Now, how many of you guys walk every single day? Raise your hand. So when it's saying walk in the spirit, it's saying, look, make sure you take care of your spirit every single day. It's a habit. It's something that we have to do continuously. It's something that it should be as common to you and as normal to you as you brushing your teeth, as you taking a shower, which I hope everybody here does, and doing all these things that since we were little, we already taught that we have to do because they become a habit. So we need to make sure we walk in the Spirit every single day, whether we're in vacation, whether we're waking up Monday morning to go to work, whether it's our day off, whatever we do, we have to make sure that we're constantly walking in the Spirit because the Bible says in the book of Ephesians, 
that the enemy has fiery darts, spiritually speaking, and he's always trying to throw fiery darts to get you to fall into temptation. And when the temptation comes, if you're not strong in the spirit, if you're not walking in the spirit, guess what? You're going to fall. So he's saying that the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. So this is constant combat every single day inside of us. There's some people that I've heard them do with a prayer. Lord, I pray that I will never be tempted again. You know what? Don't even bother praying for that because you're going to be tempted till the day that you leave this body because you're in this fleshly nature. But the way to go around that and the way to overcome sin is to make sure that your spirit is strong. Make sure you carry your Bible. Bring it to church. Read it. Connect with God. Pray. Because these are the spiritual weapons that God has given us to be able to resist the lust of the flesh. Verse 18 says, but if you are led by the spirit, then you are not under the law. 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. What are the works of the flesh? Let's get into this just briefly before we get into the fruit of the spirit. The works of the flesh are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness. These first four from the list, there's more in the list, but if you notice, the first four on this list have to do with sexual sins because that's one of the areas where we receive the most temptation. Sexual. What's adultery? Adultery is when you're married and you see another person, or if you're a guy, you see another woman and you have sex with that woman out of wedlock. That's adultery. Fornication is when you haven't married the person and you're having sex. These are the first two in the list, right? These are works of the flesh. This is how you know that person is not filled of the spirit, but is walking in the flesh. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, and then it starts naming another set, idolatry, sorcery, hatred. You know, some people hate others. Contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath. I mean, you guys all look like peaceful people, right? I believe we have that problem here in JTP Church. But who knows? It looks could be deceiving. Selfish ambitions, when you just think about yourself. Dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. And then it gets pretty hardcore. He says, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I've told you in the past, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the apostle, look, he's not judging people. He's telling you, look, guys, this is how you can tell that you're not living by the spirit. You're living by the flesh when you do all these things. When you're in adultery, fornication, sorcery, lewdness, uncleanness, envies, hatred, right? All these things. When you're doing all these things, these are evidences that you're living according to the flesh. And when you live according to the flesh, if you practice these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, instead of going to heaven, you'll go to the other place, which is called hell. How many of you guys want to go to heaven, right? How many of you guys want to inherit the kingdom of God? Of course. God tells us what we should focus on through the Apostle Paul, and he tells us that we should walk in the Spirit. It's our new way of life. Before, we used to walk according to what we wanted to do. We had no control. We just went with the flow. What most people do, what we see on social media, that's what we do. What we see our friends do, you know, that's, it's the way of life. But then we found a new way of life, which is the way to the truth, which is the way to eternal life. And then, you know what? We allow the Holy Spirit to change the way that we were living and to just help us live God's way. And if we do so, we will inherit the kingdom of God. And it will be well with us. How many say amen? And God's way always supersedes any way. Right? It's always the best way. So now that we talked a little bit about the works of the flesh, let's get into the fruit of the Spirit. And I want you to go with me to Galatians 5, 22 and 23. We're going to go a little bit backwards here. We're going to read verse 24, Galatians 5, 24. And it says, And those who are of Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. How do I know that I'm walking in the Spirit? How do I know that I belong to Christ? Because when we come here and we say, God, I want to give you my heart, we come here messed up with a bunch of sins. God forgives every single one of them. But from that day on, you opened your heart to the Holy Spirit. 
And he came, and we learned throughout the series that he's living inside of us, and he starts prompting us, just like we illustrated here with Enier and Jesus, he starts pushing us in certain direction. If we were people that used to blow up, and we used to hate people, or we used to just scream out people because we used to get upset really quickly, he's starting to prompt us to be able to be more loving, more patient, more merciful, more compassionate. Before, I don't know, we had issues with sexual sins. Now we come to Christ and say, hey, we, we got to stop doing this because God is not pleased through this. We got to start honoring God with our bodies because our bodies don't belong to us. This is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to be having or doing sins with this body that belongs to the Holy Spirit. So what is Paul saying here? That those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. Doesn't mean that you're going to nail yourself to a cross, all right? But spiritually speaking, it's saying, look, right now I'm not alive to myself anymore. Now God is the one who's in control. So in the past, this fleshly nature would have wanted to do this, would have wanted to tell a lie to get out of this problem, would have wanted to deceive this person so I can make more money. But now that I have Christ, the Holy Spirit inside of me produces fruit of the Spirit, which we're going to get to now, and now things have changed. I'm not the same person. This is a new way of life. Come on, touch the person next to you and tell them it's all about a new way of life. It's the way of the Spirit. Now, go to the verses right before that. We just read 24. Let's go to 22 and 23. These are the fruit of the Spirit. How do I know that a person has the Holy Spirit in them? Well, you got to see these characteristics inside of them. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such, there is no law. So the apostle first tells us in comparison, what are the works of the flesh? And then he gets into telling us what are the works or what are the fruits of the Spirit. And the fruits of the Spirit are all the ones that we just finished mentioning. How many of you guys would be able to tell what kind of tree something is, whether it's an apple tree or an orange, just by looking at its leaves? Raise your hands. Most of us wouldn't. We're not experts. I mean, maybe an expert could just look at the type of leaf and they're like, oh, okay, this is a mango tree. And I know we got a lot of Cubans here, right? You guys know what the leaves of a mango tree looks like. You don't need to see mangoes on the tree because you know it, right? You just know what a mango tree looks like. But for the person that's not an expert, you know, usually the type of fruit tells you what type of tree it is. Am I right? If you see apples hanging, you know it's an apple tree. If you see oranges, like when we go to Orlando, you know, you see all those, those fields full of orange trees. And in the time of blue, you can see all the little oranges all over. You know those are orange trees. So the same with our lives. Who lives in you and who rules you is evident by the fruit you show on the inside. Some people say, well, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. But then their fruits are totally different. And you're like, wait a second. I read a, a story about a little boy who used to escape his bedroom after being punished. He would crawl out of his bedroom window down an old fruit tree to the ground. And one day his father told him that he was going to chop down the fruit tree because it hadn't borne any fruit for a number of years. So that evening, the boy and his friend, they went out and they bought a bushel of apples. And during the night, they tied those apples on the barren branches. The next morning, the man... The father couldn't believe his eyes. He said to his wife, honey, I just can't believe it. The old tree hasn't yielded any fruit for years, and now it's covered with apples. And the most amazing thing is that it's a pear tree. The kid thought he would be able to fool the father, but he couldn't fool the father because the father already knew what kind of a tree it was. And sometimes we think we can, we can fool God. Or we could fool people, we could fool our leaders because we do the Christian thing when we come to church, but then Monday through Saturday, we live according to the works of the flesh. And we don't realize it, but we're like an apple tree trying to give out oranges. God doesn't want us to appear to be something on the outside that we're not on the inside. Before we get into the fruit, I want to ask you, what fruit is your life giving out? What type of fruit are you giving? Are you giving out the fruit of the Spirit? Or most of your fruits more like the works of the flesh. 
Let's talk a little bit about these fruit of the Spirit. The first one is love. Everybody shout love. L-O-V-E. But it's not love like you see in the Hollywood movies. It's love the way God defines it. And I don't have a lot of time to spend on this because there's 10 of them, and I'm going to go really quickly. But 1 Corinthians 13, if you read that whole chapter, you see what God's definition of love is. It's very different. I want to share with you Matthew 5, 44 and 48, just to be able to establish what kind of love God is referring to here. But I say to you, love your enemies. How many say amen to that? (laughs) You said amen for me to love my enemies, but what about your enemies? Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Let me read that again because that's, this is the type of love that God is calling us to. Didn't he he love you when you were a sinner? Didn't he love you when you were dead in sins and when you, and sometimes we still continue falling into sin and he still continues to love us. That's how he wants you to love others. Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. God brings out the sun for the good. And he brings out the sun for the bad. He sends the rain for those that are good. He sends the rain for those that are unjust as well. So God is saying that you are like the Father. God wants us to be more like him in that we do the same. He doesn't want you to pay evil for evil. When somebody comes and does something wrong to you, when somebody comes and curses you, if somebody comes and does something spiteful, the Bible says we have to pray for them. You have to love them, bless them. 46 says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Think about it. Everybody loves the people that love them or not. I don't have to have the Holy Spirit to love somebody that loves me. Somebody comes and gives me a $1,000 gift for Christmas. Hey, brother, I'm going to love you. Right? And I think anybody else in this world will love them. But God is saying, look, the way people are going to see that you're different and you have the fruit of the Spirit is that people that come and do you wrong, you're still going to love them. So your love is not going to be conditioned on what other people do to you but it's going to be conditioned on the love that the Father has shown to you and that you're portraying to other people. How many say amen? What reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And back then, tax collectors were thieves. They would steal from the Jews to give to the Romans. You guys know the whole ordeal. So he's saying, look, they do too. You know, they love the people that love them. And 47 says, and if you only greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Don't the tax collectors do the same? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Wow. I think that's a tall order. But you see why we need the Holy Spirit? Because if you read all these fruit of the Spirit, these 10 that we're going to talk about in the next 10 minutes, you're going to say, man, I can't do that. Well, of course. Of course you can't do it on your own. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to love others. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to be hanging on a cross and say, Father, forgive them for they know what they do. All right, so that's love. The second fruit of the Spirit is joy. And I just want to read you an excerpt of a book. It's called The Applause of Heaven by Max Lucado. And Max Lucado writes of a certain king. Just pay attention with respect to joy. No man had more reason to be miserable than this one yet. No man was more joyful. His first home was a palace. Servants were at his fingertips. The snap of his fingers changed the course of history. His name was known and loved. He had everything, wealth, power, respect. And then all of a sudden he had nothing. Students of the event still ponder it. Historians stumble as they attempt to explain it. How could a king lose everything in one instant? One moment he was royalty, the next he was in poverty. His bed became at best a borrowed pallet and usually the hard earth. He never owned even the most basic mode of transportation and was dependent upon handouts for his income. He was sometimes so hungry he would eat raw grain or pick fruit off a tree. He knew what it was like to be rained on, to be cold. He knew what it meant to have no home. 
His palace grounds had been spotless. Now he was exposed to filth. He had never known disease, but was now surrounded by illness. In his kingdom, he had been revered. Now he was ridiculed. His neighbors tried to lynch him. Some called him a lunatic. His family tried to confine him to their house. Those who didn't ridicule him tried to use him. They wanted favors. They wanted tricks. He was a novelty. They wanted to be seen with him, that is, until being with him was out of fashion. Then they wanted to kill him. He was accused of a crime he never committed. Witnessed were hired to lie. The jury was rigged. No lawyer was assigned to his defense. A judge swayed by politics handed down the death penalty. They killed him. He left as he came penniless. He was buried in a borrowed grave, his funeral financed by compassionate friends. Though he once had everything, he died with nothing. He should have been miserable. He should have been bitter. He had every right to be a pot of boiling anger, but he wasn't. He was joyful. Sourpusses don't attract the following. People followed him wherever he went. Children avoid soreheads, but children scampered after this man. Crowds don't gather to listen to woeful, but crowds clamored to hear him. Why? Because he was joyful. He was joyful when he was poor. He was joyful when he was abandoned. He was joyful when he was betrayed. He was even joyful as he hung on a tool of torture, his hands pierced with six-inch Roman spikes. Jesus embodied a stubborn joy, a joy that refused to bend in the wind of hard times, a joy that held its ground against pain, a joy whose roots extended deep into the bedrock of eternity. Come on, can somebody put their hands together for that? Because when we talk about joy, especially now in Christmas time, you know, we think that joy is associated with how big of a gift we get or how much food we're going to get. And sometimes we associate joy with so many things, but Jesus, we don't realize everything he gave up because we've never been to heaven. We don't know how good it is up there, but he left everything up there to come, make himself just like you and me, to suffer through cold, through spite, suffer people's rejection, suffer all this. And still, with all of that, he still had joy, which means that you and I, when we have the joy of the Lord, when we have the Holy Spirit, man, we should have joy in every circumstance in our lives. When somebody is filled with the Spirit, when somebody is doing what Paul commended us and challenged us to do, which is walk in the Spirit, you're going to have joy. It doesn't matter what's going on around you. It doesn't matter how many people are pointing fingers at you. It doesn't matter how much money you got in the bank or what sickness the doctor diagnosed you with because you know that you are a son of the Most High and that alone gives you enough joy to be able to continue life and do it joyfully. So it's not talking about a joy that's dependent on possessions, a joy that's dependent on if this goes right or if God, if you do this, then I'll be joyful. No, person that walks in the spirit is continually joyful. And that's why we see the people, you guys remember the early church being persecuted. And the Bible says that they would break bread in their homes with gladness of heart, joyfully. Man, they're out to get them and kill them and chop their heads off because they're Christians. But yet these people will go to church every single night and they would love to serve God and continue speaking about God. They wouldn't care if they got locked up. Why? Because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, part of the fruit, is joy. Everybody say joy. Maybe somebody needs joy here to get through whatever you're going through. And you know what? When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, this is part of the fruit that God gives you. Peace. This is the third fruit of the Spirit. God's peace is an inner sense of contentment and quietness. Regardless of life's circumstances, steadfast confidence in our ever-faithful, immutable, heavenly Father. John 14, 27, for those that are writing, peace I leave with you. This is Jesus saying this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Everybody say, God's peace is the best kind of peace. Because it's a peace that you have no matter what you're going through. Amen? Number four is long-suffering. Long-suffering is having or showing patience in spite of troubles, especially those caused by other people. That's what long-suffering is. Having or showing patience in spite of trouble. Patience in the midst of trouble. Especially those caused by other people. Because sometimes it's caused by circumstances, but when it's caused by people... Oof. It's hard for us to love these people, but we just learned 
that if we were going to walk in the Spirit, we have to what? Pray for the people that do bad unto us. We got to bless them. We got to pray for them. We got to make sure that we don't pay evil for evil. Number five is kindness. Kindness is the quality of being friendly, generous, and considerate, thinking of others before yourself. Let me ask you something. When was the last time you did a kindful act towards someone? Just because. Not because somebody told you, you know what, why don't you go and do this because this person's been nice to you. When was the first time that out of the gratefulness of your heart you did a kindful act to somebody? Somebody took care of your child in Sunday school and you know what, you didn't have to do it and the church didn't organize anything, but you just felt like buying a gift card and giving it to the teacher because you've blessed me so much and what you sometimes stay in there taking care of our kids while the service is going on. You're sacrificing that and giving of your time and volunteering. Or for the worship team, man, you guys use your talents to serve God. You come here to practice. All of a sudden, I want to do this for you. When was the last time you did a kindful act for somebody just because? Oh, this is one of the fruit of the Spirit, kindness. Everybody say kindness. Then there's goodness. There's a word in the Old Testament. In the original, it's called tob. I think that's how you pronounce it, T-O-B-H. And it means abundant and loving kindness. That's what it means when it's talking about goodness. Abundant and loving kindness. Then it talks about faithfulness. Number seven, faithfulness hinges upon what we value as important combined with commitment. We tend to be faithful with the things that we consider important. We have spouses, those that are married. My spouse is very important to me. I love her a lot, so I wouldn't do anything to be unfaithful to her. On the contrary, I want to be faithful to her because I consider her important because I love her. So we're, we tend to be faithful with the things that we love and that we consider important. Spouse, friendship, employer, you know, your job, school, athletic team, go Dolphins, or even, or some people, even a specific car maker. You know, some people say, no, man, I, I remember when my parents came to this country, they were like hooked on Toyota. That's all they would buy. Toyota, 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 Toyota Corolla, Toyota Corolla FX, Toyota Camry, Toyota Avalon. Everything was Toyota because they loved the brand. The cars would last, and you're usually faithful to the things that are important to you. They never left me in the middle of the road, you know, so I'm going to be faithful to this. So God says faithfulness. Now, if a car could be faithful to you, how much more God? So God wants us, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is to be faithful, faithful in my tithing, faithful in my service, disregarding what I'm going through. I mean, I'm not going to let my outside circumstances affect my service to God. Sometimes we do that. We allow our situations that are going on around us to dictate whether we should serve God more or less. No, no, no. Shouldn't matter. I'm faithful to God because he's been good to me. And I know this is just, a, just like we spoke about the other day, this is just a momentary, a temporary affliction. I know that God is under control, so I'm going to continue serving God because as I serve God, God's going to give you the victory, right? Faithfulness in everything I do. Number eight, I'm almost done. Gentleness. Everybody say gentleness. I love this. We don't talk a lot about gentleness, but I looked up the definition, and gentleness is a strong hand, but with a soft touch. I like that definition. It's a strong hand, but with a soft touch. It is a tender, compassionate approach towards others' weaknesses and limitations. A gentle person still speaks truth and is still firm, sometimes even speaks painful truth, but in doing so guards his tone so the truth can be well-received. Gentleness, right? It reminds me of a word that Carly and I bring up a lot in our conversations. Tact. Everybody say tact. How you say things. Because you could correct somebody and you could do it in a way that that person says, you know, I'm, I, I don't ever want to go or see that person ever again. Or you could just be encouraging on a person and still tell them what they did wrong and try to correct them or say a truth, but you say it in a way that it's gentle. That's gentleness. I have five things that I want to share with you if you guys want to write them down. Number one, with respect to gentleness, although the world tells us to be assertive, the word tells us to be gentle. The world tells us to be assertive, but the word, the Bible, tells us to be gentle. Number two, tact is thinking twice before saying nothing. Number three, tact is the ability to think of things far enough in advance not to say them. 
But sometimes we say things and then we, we regret saying what we said because we didn't think it over. But tact, gentleness, is the ability to think things far enough in advance not to say that. You know, one of the things about LeBron James when he was with the Miami Heat, you know, now he's with the Cleveland Cavaliers. God forgive him. But one of the things that they would say about him is that he was able to see plays two or three steps ahead from every other player. I remember that's one of the things that the commentaries would say. He's able to see far beyond what other people see, and that's why he would do these incredible passes or just see behind back. He knows what the person in the back of him, and he could just throw a pass behind his back and do this amazing assist or, or an alley-oop. And God wants us to be like that with the way that we speak to other people. Think, before you say something, how would that person take? What, what if I'm on the other side of that conversation and somebody else tells me what I'm going to tell that person, how would I react? But sometimes we don't think that far, but that's what gentleness is. It's all about tact. Tact is also the ability to stand on your own two feet without stepping on anyone's toes. And number five, if somebody is looking for a quote for your social media profile, people with tact have less to retract. All right? And last but not least, last but not least, self-control. If somebody can help me on the keys. Self-control, I think that it's not a coincidence that they left self-control to the end. Because I think that self-control is like, man, if you have all these things, then you can control yourself. It's the ability to control oneself, in particularly one's emotions and desires or the expression of them in one's behavior, especially in difficult situations. Again, the ability to control oneself, myself, in particular one's emotions and desires or the expressions of them in one's behavior, especially in difficult situations. To control yourself in difficult situations. That's what self-control is. You used to be a person that when the minute somebody did something that you didn't like, rah, you just blew up. In Spanish, we call them mecha corta. You, you know when you have a firecracker and you're blowing firecrackers and one of them has a very little diffuse, short fuse, right? It's very short, so you got to light up and run because it's going to blow up quick. Well, some people are short fused. You just light them up a little bit, and that's they blow up in your face. So God's saying, look, make sure you have a long fuse. Make sure you have self-control. And even if people come and do something, you have self-control. to be, Not say something that you're going to regret. Not do something that's going to compromise the work of the Spirit inside of you. To finish up, as you read all these, you're like, man, I thought I was doing well. <laughs> But I realized that I got a long way to go. Hey, don't feel bad. We all do. But the Spirit is inside of you. Now, what you got to make sure is that you let Him work in these areas. Because I've heard people say this time and time again. I've heard people say, well, that's how God made me. I'm just like that. I just say things how, no, 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 but wait. But the Holy Spirit gives you strength to be able to close your mouth, be tactful, be gentle. Somebody comes and pays you wrong just turn your face the bible says if somebody comes and smacks you you know turn the other cheek let me just say this this is not the topic but the fact that we're christians doesn't mean that we're stupid or that we're dumb because sometimes oh here hit me again hit me we're not dumb but the bible says that we have to have gentleness we have to be meek the more filled of the holy spirit the more these works are going to be evident in you and you know what <laughs> when you see a person with the fruit of the Spirit, when you see all these characteristics in a person, people are drawn to them. Because people want to be with people that are always encouraging them, right? You don't want to be close to somebody that's always talking down to you. You want to be with people that are always encouraging you. People that are always going to be gentle with you. And, and maybe, let's say, in life, we have a slip up and, you know, you act a way that you shouldn't have and that that person's not judgmental. God wants us to have the fruit of the Spirit inside of us, and wherever we go with whoever we deal with, whether it be in church, whether it be at work, whether it be anywhere in the street, that all these fruit of the Spirit are inside of us and evident. And the way to do that is when we live and walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. And it's a battle. Young people, men, women here, it's, it's a battle. And it's as hard as it is for you as it is for me. And every single person individually needs to make a decision every single day to say, God, fill me more of your spirit. 
Fill me more of your spirit. Fill me more of your spirit. Let, let people see the evidence that you live in me. Not because I raise my hands and I, and I shed a tear while we're singing a worship song. That's all good if, if it's coming from a sincere spot or it's coming from something that's going on on the inside. Because sometimes we try to have all these fruits, all these oranges growing outside of us, but inside of us we're another fruit. So sometimes we try to... You know, do the whole the Christian act. We know that we have to raise our hands when we sing worship songs and we do this. But then we go and we're, we're lying to people. We're cursing people out. We're sleeping with and, and we're doing all these things that doesn't please God. So we need to make sure that we give an opportunity to the Holy Spirit to not just be in our hearts, but to fill us. Holy Spirit, invade me from head to toe. I want to be moved by you. I want to walk with you. I want to be more like Jesus. Help me, Holy Spirit, be more like Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will give you strength to do what you can't do in your own power. I hear testimonies of people sometimes. They just have this gentleness about them. They look like a huge, like a teddy bear. And you're like, this person won't hurt a fly. And they come and they testify and they say, ah, oh, before I met Jesus, I used to beat my husband over the head with a bat. And you're like, what? You? Are you serious? When I was Holy Spirit, I used to have a dirty mouth, and this person, all, the, all they speak is blessing and the encouraging. You're like, how? How? I, I can't even picture. Well, because the Holy Spirit is at work. Just like you and I, just like anybody else. They open their hearts. They let the Holy Spirit help them with the issues that they couldn't overcome themselves. And the Holy Spirit, because they opened their hearts to him, he came and he did what that person couldn't do. And he could do the same for you. How many say amen? Maybe you're saying, wow, I'm very far from being a person that's self-controlled. Another version says a sound mind, right? Self-control. I'm very far from being gentle. I have no tact. I just tell it as it is. I'm just, no, but you know what? The Holy Spirit will teach you. Will teach you along the way, and he'll make you more gentle. He'll fill you with goodness, with kindness, with love, with peace, with joy, with patience. How many say amen? But in order to do so, you need to give him a chance. Now, Holy Spirit's never going to force himself into you. He's not going to say, come on, give me a chance. He's, it's up to you. It's what Enier spoke about, free will. We all have free will. But the minute you open your heart and you say, Holy Spirit, have your way inside of me. I don't want to give you just a little bit of my life. I don't want to just, you know, have you there for when it benefits me. I want you to take over. Make me like Christ. And that should be the end result or the end goal of every single believer. Make me more like Jesus. Because all these we can find in Jesus. You find kindness. You find gentleness. He was firm. He had all these fruit of the Spirit. And Holy Spirit wants to make us more like Jesus. Stand on your feet, JTP Church.